Ross Gay, who is a poet whose words we've heard in our service before, turned essayist to write his book of delights. He wrote almost 365, of which 102 are in the book. And the delights he discovers and shares range widely, carrying a tomato seedling through an airport and on the flight home, and the responses that it evokes from airline staff and other passengers and people passing him in the terminal. The reckless use of air quotes by a friend shows up as a delight. The process of pulling up bindweed. And this is probably my favorite of the essayettes, lessons that he learns about the state of feeling annoyed. All of these afford him delight. And his delight, like his smile in his author photo on the book cover, is contagious. Contagious in a good way. Here in a time of contagion, Gay's reflections remind me that we can be contagious to ourselves. For good and for ill, our present self passes on its experiences to our future self. What we notice, what we lift up in our own awareness infects our whole day and the next day. And so proceeding day by day, our whole lives. As Ross Gay observes, the more we study something, the more there may be of it to study. What we record for ourselves or others, we begin to notice more, which amplifies its presence for us. Even if we aren't poets or essayists or even journal jotters, there are things that we amplify by our attention and other things that wither because we don't notice them. It is as if we each do keep a nightly journal. We each have a book that we write. The ways we reflect on the day just past. The things we remember and dwell upon as we lie in bed. These affect the day to come. They, they build our muscles. They hone our radar. Gay chose to hone his delight radar. So what radar are we each honing by what we notice, by what we tell others? Well, what do you notice as you reflect on your day? Do you list the things you didn't do that you'll have to do tomorrow? Do you look back on the best moments that you've had that day, like a, a sweet conversation with a two-year-old, or that first sip of coffee first thing during the day? Do you remember all the mistakes you made and torment yourself by playing them over and over in your mind? In this time of isolation, when self-talk is such a big percentage of our conversation, what we say to ourselves is even more important than usual. Here we all are, locked in fairly small spaces. And I want to address right now especially those among us who live alone. In that small space, what kind of roommate are you? Do you notice small gifts for which you offer thanks? Or do you only speak up when your roommate leaves the dishes overnight? Are you kind to yourself and appreciative of yourself? Because your roommate deserves that. It's important to observe the bad 
parts of our lives as well as the good. I'll come back to that. But for a moment first, let's notice that what we notice, we tend to give more presence and power. We amplify it. In a class planned uh, to be held here March 29th that I hope will still be offered online or in some other way, Susan P. will lead a group in the practice of gratitude writing. She writes of this. It is easy to take the good things and people in our lives for granted. But taking time to give thanks for them can help us develop a greater appreciation for the good in our lives, which in turn may improve our relationships and our sense of well-being. Now, Susan cautiously says it may do this, but let me tell you, there's a lot of proof to back up exactly what she surmises. Dr. Robert Emmons, a psychology professor at UC Davis, has led research teams in tracking people as they cultivate gratitude, usually through something like a gratitude journal. He reports that even three weeks of cultivating gratitude has astonishing results, physical, psychological, and social. Physical. People in the study who cultivated gratitude for just a little while exhibited stronger immune systems. That's useful. They're less bothered by aches and pains. They have lower blood pressure. They exercise more and take better care of their health. And they sleep longer and feel more refreshed upon waking than people in the control group. Psychological benefits include higher levels of positive emotions, feeling more alert, alive, and awake, feeling more joy and pleasure and optimism and happiness. And social benefits include feeling more helpful, being more helpful, generous, and compassionate, being more forgiving and more outgoing, and feeling less lonely and isolated. This is all from just a short period of practicing gratitude. Now, Emmons has these three categories, physical, psychological, social. He doesn't say spiritual. That's our department. But there is no question in my mind that gratitude is a spiritual gift. And like bindweed, it persistently grows and sends off shoots of other gifts. Maybe that is why the Psalms are such an enduring part of Jewish and Christian scriptures. Over and over, they enjoin the reader, the singer, to give thanks and praise. Living without gratitude is like refusing good food when it is spread before you. As the prophet Isaiah urges, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. And then he adds, this is what will happen. You shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now, as I promised I'd come back to, paying attention 
to how we feel and what we do and what happens to us during the day is not all sweetness and light. One of the things I really admired and appreciated about Gay's book is that he doesn't shy away from pain or try to make delight a whitewash that he paints over oppression. It's all there, mixed together, all the experiences of life. And with the hard stuff, as with the joyful, what we notice, we notice more. This can have an amplifying effect that gets us nowhere good, but it can also shed a light on things that, like bindweed, are growing underground and need to be rooted up and exposed. For example, when I was in college, I had a favorite topic of conversation, how much work I had to do, how long the next essay was, how little sleep I was going to get, how stressed out I was. I was not alone. In any group of students, it was an easy topic of conversation, if not a particularly interesting one. One person would begin and the rest of us would chime in, tell me about it, each talking about what we had to do and how little time we had and how stressed out we were. And then something happened to me that didn't cure me of this tendency, but helped a lot. A friend of mine simply observed that I talked a lot about how much work I had to do and how stressed out I was. And it made me wonder, was this what I wanted to amplify in my life? Was I blowing off steam or just building up more stress? Realizing that most of the time it was the latter, I started to catch myself when, he got, when I got going on that litany. He was my journal, my friend was my journal, my complaint journal, reflecting to me the things I'd been giving the most attention to so that I could decide to give them less. Now, sometimes no noticing the negative things like injustice and cruelty, unkindness, inequality, is what we need in order to address and uproot them. Another friend of mine tells me of how she grew up with a brother whose treatment of her was borderline abusive, dismissing whatever she said, critically assessing her clothes, her looks, her friends. She knows this now. She didn't know it while she was growing up with it. She just absorbed it. It was just the way things were. Then one day, she says, she casually remarked to a new acquaintance that she and her brother weren't close. And the acquaintance said, oh yes, I've noticed that he puts you down constantly. And with that simple honing of the radar, she began to notice that, yes, he put her down constantly. Their lack of closeness was not just a fact of siblinghood or a mysterious lack in their lives. It resulted directly from his belittling and insulting talk. Once she knew that, she could notice when it happened. Once she noticed, she could speak up. Hey, that was mean. She says they didn't become the best of friends after that, but things definitely improved. He started curbing that meanness when she fed that back to him. And things have gotten better to the point that she no longer dreads spending time with her brother. Sometimes it takes a shift in attention or a little bit of work to become aware of things that go on all the time. The human mind is so adept at relegating to the background things that happen frequently, whether they're nasty comments from a sibling 
or just the sound of traffic going by, or the beauty of the dawn chorus. Practices of attention, such as Gay's daily essayettes or a gratitude journal, disrupt this tendency and help us to notice what has slipped beneath notice. Just this week, when I was making notes for this sermon, my daughter observed, apropos of nothing, you know what's great about being a little kid? She meant much younger than her own 13 years. Everything is exciting-er. She observed, when you get older, it's boring. I'm sharing these comments with her permission, by the way. She's right, one of the fun things one of the exhausting things about being with very young children is that everything's exciting to them. Try to take a walk with a toddler and you will walk agonizingly slowly, not because their legs are short, but because they want to stop and look at everything. Ants, crunchy leaves, dog poop, it's all so exciting. And I realized as I turned over my daughter's words, there is no reason for this world ever to get boring. It is as full of marvels now, things we don't know, things that we don't understand, as it ever was. And the day we die, it will be, still be mostly mysterious and unknown to us. It's just that as we get older, we have to make an effort where it was once effortless, because all these miracles just have kind of receded to the background. Ants, been there, seen those. But, Read E.O. Wilson's works on ants. Or, for that matter, just do something that a, little, that a little kid would do, like devote 10 solid minutes to watching ants, and I predict your boredom will fall away. Ants will get exciting-er, because they're really pretty cool. It's just your perception that's gotten hazy. And then, of course, there are galaxies and inner worlds that we've never seen before. We just have to clear away the ho-hum from our perception. In times like these, times of isolation, times of boredom and an indefinite term of boring routine, there's an awful lot of ho-hum. And we can choose to notice things that the existence of this virus illuminates. So how would it be in lieu of a gratitude journal, to notice your body, what it can do, its signs of health. I imagine you're already noticing every cough and ache. I am. So take your temperature and wash your hands, but also notice that you can stroke a cat's fur and feel the rumble in his chest and see the jewels in his eyes. Notice that your shoulders are strong enough to push your whole body weight in your wheelchair. Notice that you can take a deep breath and feel it fill you right down to the belly without an ache or a wheeze. Or maybe there are aches and wheezes, and in that case, notice that even so, you can wrap your arms around someone you love, including yourself. Notice that you are alive that your heart is beating and your brain is humming. Or how's this for a practice? How would it be to notice the people who are important to you, especially now that you can't visit them? 
to call to mind what you appreciate about them, and maybe even to call and tell them, or just call them. Bring them close in a way that sometimes they're not even close when you're in the same room together. Can we make this trial an occasion for the kind of awareness that amplifies gratitude and delight and joy, even though the occasion is not a happy one? This is an apt season for it, the time of Lent in the Christian tradition, when Christians spiritually prepare themselves for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, notably by giving up some pleasure or luxury, and also through practices such as prayer and contemplation, dare I say, a journal. The UU minister, Kendall Gibbons, writes, once upon a time, the season of Lent was about necessity. It was about the time of year when the stored harvest was pretty well used up, before anything much was growing in the early spring, it was a time of want and hardship, a time perhaps of, tempta of temptation, when you might want to eat the grain that was stored for seed or the animals that would soon give birth to the next generation. It was a time of self-restraint, when it was better for the community as a whole if the rich and privileged did not indulge themselves when the poor could not. It was a time of recognizing the connection between human behavior and the creative, generative forces of the earth and the universe that could only function in cooperation, of acknowledging the interdependent web of all existence and what it required from us in order for abundance to happen again in time. It wasn't sacrificing an arbitrary pleasure in order to give God a cheap thrill. It started out as a reverent acknowledgement of sacred necessity, of the role played by self-restraint in the service of both the common good and the web of life. Even our sacrifices, even the sacrifices we don't seek out, can be an occasion for joy. Look at us, who would have thought that we would be able to save lives by the sacrifice of some of our freedom and some of our pleasures, and yet that is what we are doing today. What if your daily book, when you're cooped up with coronavirus warnings, was what I gave up today and why? Or, Things I did today that I wouldn't have done if not for this forced break from my usual activities, like that jigsaw puzzle that's been on the closet shelf, or that movie I'd forgotten I wanted to watch. Or how about a journal marking each, each day someone I appreciate whom I want to stay healthy and alive and what I love about them? Or just an old-fashioned gratitude journal. In this time of contagion, the awareness that we home will grow and spread within us and around us. May our awareness bring us delight, and may our daily book help us grow in love. <laughs>